This week on FX Guide TV. We're travelling the world, this week ending up in Canada, talking to the Embassy VFX about their great work in commercials and their general pipeline approach to collaborating with other Canadian companies. This podcast is brought to you by the first Autodesk Cave, which will bring together wildly creative people. Cave speakers include Sid Mead, who brings futurism and believability to movies such as Blade Runner, Tron, and Star Trek. Neil Gaiman, the creator and writer of the cult DC comic series Sandman. John Cleese, a versatile comic actor and leading business motivator, and many, many more. Find out more at autodeskcave.com. This and more, coming up next. Hello, I'm Angie, and welcome to FX Guide TV. Before this week's show, I want to point ahead towards award season. Now I know it seems like we're getting in early, but this year, once again at FX Guide, we are covering both the main awards, the SciTech Awards and the VES Awards. While some people might rightly point out that it's odd to say which film is best in any one year, we do believe award season is a great time to focus on the artists and the TDs behind the best work that has collectively been done this year. To that end, we will be publishing a lot of material between now and the actual awards. FX Guide is now the most respected source for technical coverage of our industry, and we are growing bigger each year. So keep an eye out on FX Guide and let us know if you like our approach of in-depth coverage. Some have said we should cut down our stories and even shorten this show to make it quick and easy to digest. But I say, if you've spent years working on a film, the least we can do is try and cover it properly. So we're not going to dumb it down anytime soon. Okay, well with that said, on with the show. The core team here at the Embassy is usually about 10 to 15 people and we expand and contract usually particularly for the feature work. Um, for a commercial we would have say anywhere from two to three compositors per commercial. Um, myself usually supervising a comp team, maybe two or three compositors under myself and then um, that can, for a feature that can expand considerably, you know, as we, you know, for example, on uh, Battleship, we expanded up to about nearly 50 people in total, which is the largest we've ever been. Uh, and that was purely based on the complexity of the work that we had to do in that show. Recently, we worked on Percy Jackson, Elysium, and um, Ender's Game. And we've also done some television work. We do some do episodes of television every once in a while. We have a massive amount of range of work. I mean, we go from doing internal demos and, and uh, for the likes of Microsoft Game Studios. We do commercials. We've done uh, live action features with adding CG objects in live action plates. We've done fully CG sequences for commercials and for features as well too. So a really broad gamut of work. The 2012 Kia Sorento and Sportage with available all-wheel drive. Can you tell me about some of the challenges in cleaning up the plates for the Kia uh, spot? Yeah, we had um, quite a bit of a challenge on that spot. Um, basically, it was shot uh, supposedly for winter in Vancouver in the area. We can sometimes have snow and sometimes we don't have snow. 
uh, and it can it can melt overnight. So we were about uh, 100 miles outside of Vancouver in a place called Pemberton, and we had two day shoot. The first day was amazing. We we're up in a valley and it was heavy snow and snow drifts, and it was looked wonderful. It was beautiful. The second day we had some more car footage on a, a runway in an airport nearby, and unfortunately all the all the snow melted. So we had to. Uh, not only do we have to go and replace snow on the ground, we had to completely replace backgrounds because all the snow had melted on the trees and, and we had to add, yeah, add you know, the snow particles. So was that for the final shot where both cars are traveling towards camera? And uh... It was for all of the shots actually. They were all basically pretty much from the, the last 50% of the commercial. There was no snow on there, very little snow on the ground and, and no snow on the trees. So. But that wasn't CG snow, most of that was done in comp? Most of that was just done in comp. The the turnaround from plate delivery to comp to delivery of spot was uh, two weeks. So it was a really tight turnaround. I think from shoot date to delivery was less than four weeks. Wow. So it was, uh, it was a really quick turnaround and it was an awesome job in the end. So you were behind the uh, tree, is it a tree that attacks the car? Yeah, it's kind of a tree monster that comes to life and chases a car. So how did that come about? I mean, uh, how did you, uh, did you quickly derive the look for that design for the tree or was it a matter of exploring it? Um, the director actually um, worked with a, a concept sculptor who sculpted up a design. He, it started with a sketch and then it moved into an actual clay sculpture, which was nice to have practical reference. And they photographed it while it was in progress and we kind of started modeling while the, the sculpture was in progress and then it was refined by the director and eventually they sent us the practical sculpture and I was able to have it on my desk and just model straight from the real reference of having it with me. A lot of our modeling happens in Moto, sometimes texture painting as well. I use the painting tools in Moto quite a bit. I like the advanced OpenGL to, to see, I can preview displacements, see everything on on the model in OpenGL, so it's it's a nice nice way to work and get in there and do texture changes. And some light sculpting we do in Moto as well. And then that usually goes out to Soft Image to be rigged and then animated. And then it's rendered usually in Soft Image Arnold. And so in this particular uh, job, how long did it take to do the whole production from start to finish? I think we had mm, four weeks or so. So it was, it was fairly quick, and, um, and the, the design of the actual creature, the tree creature, was being refined throughout the process. So there was, you know, there was changes as we went, so that, and we had to start animation and everything while we are also changing the model, so it was kind of a, a balancing act between everything. Did you uh, <clears throat> work on the uh, Iron Kid reworking of the DD assets into um, I did, version? I did, yes. Um, it was basically taking their, their provided asset and then making it look like a kid. So we had to figure out what that means. And that was mostly bigger hands and bigger feet and a bigger head. But when you do those kinds of things, you, um, you know, Iron Man has very tight seams and very close panels and everything. So a lot of things had to be adjusted and refit to, to make work for the kid proportions. Can we get it? Got it. Yes. You're going to have to use the circular particle accelerator called the cyclotron. What's he doing up there? Science project. How do I make it stronger? You have to implement gyroscopic stabilizers in the chest plate. Hey, buddy. So where's the big project?
volcano. I just had a wire mesh model. Coat it with paper mache, paint it over. Technology that makes you feel superhuman? Um, where do I sign in? That's powerful. So for uh, something like the uh, Iron Kids spot or the tree, in terms of effects animation, where's that happening? Um, sometimes in Houdini, we do some stuff in ice and soft image, but um, primarily Houdini. How long was the turnaround on uh, Iron Kid? Iron Kid, I think if I remember correctly, was, it was, I think, four to five weeks. I think we're finding more and more. I remember when, uh, when I started here first at the embassy, our timelines for commercials were in the kind of six to eight week category. More and more we're finding there are four, five, six is a luxury almost these days. So what sort of complexity was presented by taking assets for the Iron Kid and then obviously sort of retargeting the, the size and then doing those comps that had to stand up against the, you know, feature film stuff? Against the real suit. Well, luckily enough, we were doing work for the actual feature film at the time we were doing the commercial. So the actual asset for the suit was in-house at the time and we prepped it for use in shots with, with Robert Downey Jr. So it was, we knew what we had to achieve. We had a target in sight. Um, I think the first um, thing we had to address was the scale of the suit. And that meant obviously uh, resizing things to childlike proportions, but making it still feel like an Iron Man suit. And I think the, the CG guys did an awesome job on that and, and it, it really holds up on screen. In terms of um, the lighting and the rendering, I mean, as I said, we had already started shots in, in, uh, on Iron Man for that. So it was a, a, a simple case of copying basically essentially the same pipeline for the commercial. So uh, in terms of the shader pipeline and the rendering pipeline, can you just talk about that? Because I think you, did, you use Arnold, right? Yeah, all of, our, all of our rendering is done in Arnold. Uh, and this was, I think, the, if I believe, the first time we'd started using the kettle shader, shaders in Arnold. Um, so our pipeline is built in Ireland, Arnold, uh, and then all the passes are, all the AOVs are rendered out for, for new. So the compositor has full control of all the passes like specular and indirect specular and ambient passes. So we can really play around with the lighting if we need to in compositing, which is really great. Do you use any of the things like the uh, P-maps or anything like that? Yeah, we do use the P-maps sometimes for creating mats in space and stuff like that. Um, I think the great thing about the, the embassy is that we, ha because we're such a smaller company, there's a very quick turnaround in terms of feedback and stuff like that. So it's not a case that uh, somebody has rendered something and it sits on a render farm for a week and then somebody else picks it up a week later. Um, if there's issues with CG, it, the, the feedback loop is a lot quicker. So uh, if there's issues with CG, we, we can fix it very quickly. I think that's because of our small size and we're nimble and, and flexible that way. So when it gets when when the CG gets to compositing, it's um, it's usually in a pretty good state because there's been a lot of feedback given by comp itself at that point. So really, at that point, it's it's up to the comp artist just to make it look cool. Do you um, go down the path of doing physically plausible shaders and stuff through Arnold? Because obviously, it's a very good way to work if you choose to. Um, sometimes it depends on the uh, it depends on the the show whether or not it's it's it, it's a resources issue, really, I think. So uh, is, I, I presume you're using a linear workflow. Yeah, it's linear all the way through. And, and I think for me, for someone who came from a flame background many, many years ago, to have that and to have that seamless throughout the whole building and the whole pipeline is really important. Um, when we're doing a commercial, 
it's great to be able to take the HDR images that are captured on set, bring them into Nuke, and actually gray them with the raw plates that have been shot on set. So when that stuff goes back to the CG, I mean, when they light and render stuff, it literally is almost a drop into the scene when we're compositing. And uh, we don't have to worry too much about matching stuff to plates. And I think the linear pipeline, I mean, I don't think that would have been possible many years ago. So what's the uh, pipeline for compositing here at the MC? Well, most of our pipeline is built around uh, the Foundry's Nuke, which is an awesome node-based compositor we've been using for ooh, about uh, five, five years or so now. So what do you like about it? Um, I think it's speed. Um, I don't have to think about, you know, what I want to do in a comp. It's, it's there in front of me before I've almost done it sometimes. Um, and basically, it has a lot of tools that allow us to, to integrate it with all the other facets of the work that we do here at the embassy. I think that's the best part of it. So do you use much of the uh, 3D tools, especially like camera projection and stuff? Inside? Oh, all the time. Um, we're doing, a, you know, we do a lot of commercials here. So we're doing a lot of cleanup background work that would be too intensive to go into a, say, a full CG pipeline in the short turnaround we have in a commercial. So we use a lot of background projection stuff, sky replacements, background replacements, those kind of things. Um, even for simple particles, we've done commercials in the past where, say for example, we had to do um, simple snow passes and we use the, the latest particle tools and to do those quickly and efficiently in a, in a commercial pipeline. The things that I'm implementing here is like a, a database-driven pipeline, which means that every asset is being tracked. We have our own database and we have like production tracking software, which is Shotgun and they're tied together really nicely. So um, giving you some example, let's say that someone re-renders or re-lights some elements, everyone using Nuke here would have a tool that says, okay, what elements are up to date and which of our files are old and maybe need to be changed? Or are they new elements and so they can browse and see what's there? And this is a custom tool. They don't go through the file system. They just see everything within the uh, QT interface and bring it directly into their Nuke file. Uh, with the animation, uh, Lighting would know that there is a, a newer version of animation, so they would just update the animation on their shots. So we're constantly up to date with what has been changed and being tracked. Uh, we hooked up a lot of event-driven things. So for example, if uh, we get a production that says, okay, that file is ready to be delivered, changing that status in Shotgun would go and package the Nuke script, put everything on the FTP server for the client, um, send mails to whoever needs it. So all these little things that happen in Shotgun are triggering, triggering a lot of tools in the pipeline within, the, within here. Are you using like Revolver screening room for anything? Yeah, uh, our dailies are being run through Revolver and most of our tools are right-clicking or launching RV to, to play stuff. And how do you find that? I love RV. Um, so uh, in terms of um, inside the compositing pipeline, are you also writing custom gizmos and stuff for Nuke? And um, yeah, there's like, um, there was the whole dealing with uh, um, color decision list being changed. So again, we parse the files directly into and populate the data into Shotgun. And then everyone within the shot, queries shotgun, gets that CDL and has a, a viewer node in Nuke that uses the correct one according to the changes in that shot. So I presume you're using Python with um, shotgun? Python and PyQt. 
extensively. It's very easy to customize it and create tools that look exactly like Nuke tools. So we have like, for example, we don't use the Nuke file browser, we have the embassy file browser, which is tied to the database. So you will see your files and you see the notes of, of everything and you see like what have been approved or if something has been rejected so you know what to open or not, or if someone has pushed a publish on that thing. So all that works directly within Nuke and looks exactly like the Nuke interface and it's really nice and easy to customize. So what's the community like in Vancouver between the various facilities? Well, the community is great. I mean, we started uh, a few years ago. I mean, I think when we started doing visual effects for features, we started reading commercials, we started working on Iron Man. The second feature that we did uh, was working on District 9, and we worked closely with uh, Image Engine at that point. So we had shots where we'd be sharing, they'd provide the alien to us, we'd provide the exosuit, and then Weta would provide the background spaceship, and everyone worked really well together. We shared assets back with them, and they shared assets with us, and it was really kind of like whoever had more of the CG in the shot would handle the final comp, and uh, it worked great. Everyone played really well together, and it was a great experience. So moving the clock forward to Elysium, how did that work? Well, Elysium, uh, we got a call from Sean. Uh, they were the primary vendor on, on Elysium and said, can you help us out with some shots? And primarily what they were doing was these really complex, or needed help with, was these really complex weapon design looks. So there were shots where Charlto or uh, Kruger in the film holds a basically a handheld shield, which is basically generated almost from, like looks like a mag flashlight, but it generates a force field around him. And then our, uh, our part of that was Essentially, Matt Damon is shooting a flechette rifle at him, which basically the bullets come out, and once they're coming out of the gun, they fracture and split into multiple projectiles that are heading towards the shield. So with that, we had a, uh, we had a, a spark system we had written for um, Battleship, which came in really handy in order that basically our sparks are not just lines, they have lens flares or little star filters on them. They are, are not, not lens flares, star filters. Each one is different and, and organic. And so we developed that in Houdini with also um, the shield effect also done in Houdini as well. And then we composited, of course, in Nuke, which everyone else uses. But uh, those effects were something that was really kind of complex and were subjective. They needed a lot of R&D and look to, uh, and Image Engine was obviously so busy doing, you know, probably a thousand other shots that they needed help with this specific thing. So we developed that. Um, also the uh, GTR in the battle as well as it was being, instead of being physically destroyed, which there was some physical destruction by the FX guys on set, it needed to really be being shot up and shoot up. And that was also another effect that we did with our kind of damage tools that we developed for, for Battleship as well. Um, we've been using Shotgun since uh, I think Cowboys and Aliens, we started on that and then did Battleship and now Elysium. Iron Man 3, we used it this year, Percy Jackson, so it's, it's pretty integral to our pipeline. So from a production management point of view, how does that work in terms of, I mean, how much do, how do the facilities kind of meld together? I mean, they're obviously scheduling stuff and, and reviewing stuff with the director, but how is that producing side of things, the interaction between the two companies? Uh, well, that part was great. I mean, what they would have is, is Sean and uh, Peter would come over a couple times a week to our facility to view dailies. They would take them back and show them to Neil over at Image Engine in their theater. Uh, we also worked under uh, Image Engine. It was really good to provide us a, a great color management and spec document that we had to adhere to. I mean, the movie was done in 3.5K in the end, and uh, but everything was seemed flawless. Like between us two facilities, we'd send stuff off. They loved our tech, you know, they tech checked our work. They loved it, went back and forth, and it just seemed to fit right into their, their pipeline and everyone else in the city. There was multiple houses working on uh, Elysium at the very end. I think there's about five in total in Vancouver. So they, it all seemed to go 
pretty well. I guess down the track, it'd be interesting to see even more integration through something like Shotgun so that you could have more understanding into their scheduling pipe and them into yours, I guess. Yeah, if you could share those uh, projects across facilities would be great if you could do that. I mean, you could actually do that. There's no reason why you couldn't set up users to have a specific project that outside vendors and internal you know, crew see the same information. But yeah, that, it works really, really well. And uh, in terms of um, software and stuff, you don't run the same exact copies of their stuff, but you had no problem in sort of matching into the pipes in terms of... No, no. I mean, the thing is the, the Nuke was the, was the common software that we used, but our pipeline is an XSI Arnold pipeline, and uh, theirs is pretty much Maya 3D Lite. And then I also know they did use Arnold as well for some of the ring shots. Yeah, they were saying that they had you as a um, uh, non-human entry in their shotgun and that you would just basically appear very much like an internal shot once yep. it came into that review process. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it, it was, uh, it seemed to go, like I said, really flawlessly. So it was, uh, you know, I hopefully we work together more. Thanks guys. And I just want to give a shout out to our Twitter and Facebook followers. You guys are awesome and drive loads of people towards our work more than ever before. So thank you so much. All right, well enough from me and I'll see you next time. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.